when you think about the phrase ministry of the word, ministry of the word, the ministry of the word, I suspect many of you picture in your mind someone doing something like I'm doing right now, right? You have that picture in your mind of someone doing something like what I'm doing right now in this kind of context. But when the Apostle Paul wrote to the Ephesians, when he spoke to the Ephesian believers about speaking the truth in love, Ephesians 4.15, when he wrote about speaking the truth in love, he was making it clear there that all of us have a ministry of the Word to every believer. Everybody has a ministry of the Word. Sorry, every believer has a ministry of the Word to everyone, right? Every believer has a ministry of the Word. My question to you is, do you believe that? Do you believe that you have a ministry of the Word? And if you do believe that, even just up here, how are you thinking about your ministry of the Word? Do you... Think about the, the ways and opportunities that might be coming your way in terms of the ministry of the Word? Do you think about the ways that you want to grow in your ministry of the Word? The question is not whether you have a ministry of the Word or whether I have a ministry of the Word. The question is, how are we thinking about it? And, and are we being faithful in our ministry of the Word? In that same chapter to the disciples in Ephesus, Paul wrote this. I love this. Take a look on the screen here. This is Ephesians 4.29. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for what? Building up. Yeah, building up. As fits the occasion. What does that mean? It means that you need to have wisdom, discernment, to know who you're speaking with, the context, the situation, the needs that are present, as fits the occasion, that it may give what? Grace to those who hear. Isn't that a great kind of mission statement for your mouth? (laughs) Isn't that wonderful? What a great encouragement. The same chapter, only 14 verses later, where he says, speaking the truth in love, he's encouraging them in this very way. Brothers and sisters, Way of grace. God has called us to give grace to one another. To give grace. I know you want to give grace to your brothers and sisters. I have no doubt about that. I know your hearts. You want to give grace to one another. One of the most powerful ways that you can do that is you can do that through your ministry of the Word. What kind of grace is it? It's grace that builds up. It's grace that results in growth. This morning, in light of that idea of speaking the truth in love, in light of this idea of giving grace through our words, as we begin a new year in the New Testament, as we are grabbing those reading calendars and we are digging in together, getting on the same page, literally and figuratively as a church, spiritually, getting on the same page. And let me just address that for a moment. I know some of you have your thing, right? I know some of you have your thing. 
well, pastor, I don't do the reading plan because I already have a thing I do. I have a plan. I have a book. I have a Bible. I have a devotional. I have something that I've done all the time. I'm not here to tell you stop doing that. What I'm asking you to do for the sake of the body is also do this reading plan. It's a way that you demonstrate sacrificial love for one another to, to maybe say, okay, I'm going to add this or actually I'm going to change it up and I'm going to set aside what I'm doing and I'm going to bring this in because I know my brothers and sisters are also going to be reading through this. And God's presented me with a wonderful opportunity to be able to know what my brother and sister is reading that I can also say, hey, do you remember when we looked at this week, this passage from Mark? That was incredibly encouraging to me. I want to I want to send that out to my brothers and sisters or or if somebody brings something up to you, you're able to say, yeah, I remember reading that this week. That was really, really helpful for me. So just a little plea from the pastor to you to encourage you to, to if you're not reading with us on the reading plan, do that. And, and I'll tell you what it will also do. It will help you get ready for Sunday as you hear from the word. Right. It, it'll prepare you and get you kind of stirred up and asking questions that when you come and you hear one of these passages or chapters preached by me or whoever's teaching, you will be able to say, man, I was thinking about this all week and God was really stirring my heart in light of that. I'm excited to hear more this week. So as we begin this new year through the New Testament, I thought it would be really, really helpful to talk more about how we can bless others with the Word of God. You might be hearing me and saying, I hear you, I want to build up, I want to give grace, I want to speak the truth in love to my brothers and sisters. How do I do that? What does that mean? What does that look like? Well, we can't get into every aspect of that this morning, but I thought 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17... We were able to even read those together. Thank you, Kevin, for that, to be able to read those together this morning. And many of us, a lot of us, are familiar already with that passage. But turn there, if you haven't already, to 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. Turn there and let me read that passage. Specifically, we're thinking about two wonderful verses here that help us with this idea of blessing others with God's Word. And specifically this morning, inside the church. This is not to limit the scope of our ministry of the Word. We're just focused on inside the church this morning, okay? We talked actually last week, didn't we, about praying for boldness and and ministering outside of of the body, out, out in our daily lives people that god has put in our lives this is what paul writes to timothy all scripture is breathed out by god and it is profitable it is profitable profitable for what for teaching for reproof for correction and for training in righteousness that the man of god may be complete, equipped for every good work. Now, clearly that's not a long passage, but it is a rich passage. It is a rich passage. As you, as we focus on verse 16, think about what these verses teach us about God's Word. Remember, we're speaking the truth in love to one another. We have a ministry of God's Word as believers. We we already have that. The moment you become a believer, having received the Word, you have a ministry of the Word to others. 
You, you may not have a lot of depth to your ministry of the Word. You may not know, know what to do, but that's part of how you grow. It's part of how you serve and glorify God, even in very simple ways. So we all have this ministry of the Word. Look at what this is teaching us about that Word and your ministry to others. First of all, take a look on the screen. We'll put these up for you. First of all, you bless others with the Word through God's power. You bless others with the Word through God's power. It shouldn't be surprising to us that the most important point is expressed first in this verse, in this passage. It's right up front. So when you use the Word to bless bless others, Please hear me. You don't need to worry about your eloquence in delivering that word. Please don't get hung up on that. You don't need to be concerned with whether or not you're able to explain every single aspect of that word. Please don't get hung up on that. You don't need to be concerned uh, or worried about your charisma in bringing that word or how much you project spiritual authority or project conviction. Why do you not need to worry about any of these things? Because Scripture is the voice of the living God. It is God's word. It was breathed out by Him and is therefore, according to Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, Living and active. Living and active. The very word that we have the opportunity to minister is living and active. So the fact that God, God Himself will be at work through His word is the solid rock, is the reassuring foundation that we need for all these remaining three points that I'm going to give you. Don't get hung up on, oh, I just didn't, I didn't say that right. I, I, I'm not going to say it because I don't think I could explain it if somebody asked me a question about it or, or, or something. Don't get hung up on that. Trust that God is at work in His Word. And He uses people like us with all of our failings. And be convinced that even the most eloquent, competent, powerful preacher is not going to make even a dent in somebody's life apart from the grace of God, apart from the Spirit of God at work in that person's life. So we fall back and we rest on that first statement. Speaking of remaining points and and this foundation that we have, this reassuring foundation, second, take a look. Second, you bless others with the Word through teaching. Isn't that what we see there in verse 16? All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable... For teaching. So you bless others with the word through teaching. Did you know the word translated teaching here could also be translated and is translated in the New Testament instruction? Maybe that puts a little bit of a different spin on it for you. It's often also translated as doctrine, right? The teaching. These are the the content of what you are teaching or communicating. I wanted to point that out because it's easy to hear the word teaching and think, but I'm not a teacher, right? And then we check out. We just mentally check out. This verse is not about me. Good for you, pastor. You're the teacher. You're the one. But I'm not a teacher. I'm not going to be preaching or leading a class of some sort. And we know that whenever people are surveyed, 
for like their biggest fears, like what's the number one usually? Public speaking. Yeah, oftentimes it wins the day even over death, which is an interesting, <laughs> interesting conclusion. People would rather die than be speaking in public. Wow. Okay. So knowing that, I get why the word teaching can sound daunting here when you hear that. But we need to remember that in passages like these, take a look on the screen. You will see a couple verses. These are just some of them, right? We could go to Hebrews 5 as well and say, by this time you ought to be teachers, brothers and sisters. Look at these passages. You can see passages like this that, that, uh, that Paul, Romans 15, 14, Colossians 3, 16, he instructs believers to instruct one another. That was the understanding of how the church functioned. What does that look like? Well, it simply means speaking forth the word of God to help one another. Sit. Don't make it as something that it's not. It's what it is. Speaking forth the word of God to help one another. Right? That's when you think of here teaching here, that's your ministry of teaching. That's my ministry ultimately of teaching up here. It's sharing, it's reflecting on, it's reminding one another, it's discussing with others, it's encouraging each other in, like Paul wrote to the Thessalonians and said, The Lord Jesus will return, he'll draw us to himself, the times and the seasons, all that. Therefore, brothers, encourage one another with these words. Ah, that's the very end, I think, of First Thessalonians 4. Encourage one another with these words. That's their ministry of teaching to one another. Speaking forth the word to help one another. It's doing that with the living and active word of God. Number three, take a look here. Number three, you bless others with the word through reproof and correction. Reproof and correction. When a person is striving to follow the example of Jesus, and remember what we're doing here, we are. This is a this is a this is a uh, a study this morning that is inspired by the Lord Jesus. He's not far from what we're talking about here, and we will make that clear. But remember what we're doing. We're looking at Him, and we're thinking about how He used the Word to minister to other people. So when we do that, when we're trying to follow that example of loving others through the Word of God, just as Jesus did, inevitably, he or she, that person, is going to be ministering to someone, often a brother or sister, who is living, who is speaking in a way that is contradictory to the truth. So if you have that ministry of the Word in your life, you're going to run into someone who's going the the wrong way. It's just going to happen. That's going to happen, right? When that's the case, faithful teaching, your ministry of the word, faithful instruction is rightly called reproof and correction. That's what it looks like as fits the occasion. Ephesians 4. As fits the occasion. That's reproof and correction. What is reproof? Reproof means demonstrating for someone the error of their ways in light of God's word. You're going the wrong way, right? That's not, no, that's, that's not what God's Word teaches. The goal of reproof is conviction of sin. Conviction of sin. But this goes hand in hand with correction, which goes beyond saying, you're going the wrong way. Correction is saying, and this is the right way. 
Both of those go hand in hand. This is the wrong way. You're going the wrong way. This is the right way. Remember how Paul described your ministry of the Word. It's speaking the truth in love. Speaking the truth in love. This is where that relational context of disciple-making, the very thing we saw with Jesus and His disciples, is so incredibly important. As much as is possible. And I know it's not always the case. It's not always the situation. But as much as is possible, those whom we reprove and correct should be those who already know that we love them. Does that make sense? That's the relational context. To the degree that's lacking oftentimes is an indication of the unhealthiness maybe of fellowship of of the body when that's not there. But that relational context, when that is nurtured, when that is encouraged, when that is built up, you will find that reproof and correction are just, they they come a lot easier. (laughs) They're a lot more organic in that context and make sense and are easier too for the people who are in those relationships. Reproof and correction. Fourth and finally, you bless others with the word through training. Specifically, Paul talks here in verse 16 about the scriptures being profitable for training in righteousness. Training in righteousness. This training aspect should never be separated from the teaching aspect of your word, of that, of your word ministry. Why do we not want to separate these two? Because it's crucial for the person that you're seeking to bless to understand this. How and why? By giving them some understanding of what it looks like to apply the Word of God for the glory of God. Training is that application. Helping people to make it real. How do I live out this concept in my daily you know, going in my daily life. Our deepest desire in terms of the goal, the result of our Word ministry, your ministry of the Word inside the church should be a brother or sister who looks more and more like Jesus. Do you want that for your brothers and sisters? Do you want them to look more and more like Jesus? You should, right? That's the heart of Christ in us, that we want our brothers and sisters to look more and more like Jesus. We're spiritually investing in them with an eye toward their wholeness in Christ, that they would be whole in Christ. And so as we're doing that, if we want them to look more and more like Jesus, friends, that's righteousness. That's the righteousness for which the Word shapes or trains us. Righteousness based on the standard or the measure of Jesus Christ. There is no other standard of righteousness. Christ is the fulfillment. He's the fullness of that righteousness. Therefore, training in righteousness is helping someone actually grow in Christ's likeness to become more like Jesus. Therefore, we should seek to use the word to encourage that very thing in those to whom we are ministering. Okay, so here's what I thought would be really helpful is to take these four points that you see here, right? These four points. And let's, let, let's give an example from Scripture of someone doing this very thing with a word. In fact, it's, it's Paul himself. He's going to be the one I'm going to focus on here. 
He's doing this very thing that we're talking about. Blessing others with the Word, with Scripture. So do this. Turn over, if you would, to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 25 through 33. Using these four points on the screen, the four points that I just listed that came right out of 2 Timothy 3.16... Let's use those four points and let's see if we can detect Paul using the Word of God in these very ways. First of all, when you're looking at that passage, Ephesians chapter 5, the very end, 25 through 33, we could ask the question, is Paul blessing others with God's Word here? Well, it's kind of a weird question, isn't it? Because we know Paul's an inspired writer of Scripture. (laughs) So, what did Paul know Though, when he was writing, that's an interesting take. Well, we we can just kind of bypass that and make it clear that in verse 31, take a look, verse 31, Paul is quoting Genesis 2.24. So, Paul is using Scripture, right? He's got Scripture, the living and active Word of God, breathed out by God. That Word, he is using it to minister to the Ephesians. So imagine for yourself that you're talking to a confused husband. Imagine that you're talking to a struggling wife and you are sharing this verse with them, Genesis 2.24. You're using it. You find that in that conversation, you want to bring that verse up with them because it just seems to fit. Maybe in light of the division that they're experiencing in their relationship currently, you share this verse because it emphasizes the oneness that is part of God's design for marriage. And the man shall leave his father and mother and he shall be joined to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. The most powerful and important verse on marriage in the entire Bible. Repeated many, many times throughout the Scriptures. By Jesus, by Paul, you can just kind of go on, right? It's there. That verse. You share it though with a couple who is struggling. Maybe, like I said, to kind of focus on that oneness aspect. So to be clear, you sharing that verse as a loving brother or sister is you speaking forth the word to help them. That's your teaching ministry. Because the word of God is profitable for teaching, isn't it? So you want to use the word in that way to point back to what God has revealed. Second, notice this from from Ephesians 5. Notice how Paul, in a general way here, is reproving and correcting. Reproof and correction. Do you see that? Verse 29, For no one ever hated his own flesh. If a married couple truly is, according to God's Word, by God's design, one flesh, even if they don't currently, currently feel that oneness, then it is wrong to hate. That is, to mistreat, to neglect, to despise your spouse. Think about it. If you have a healthy outlook, that's not how you treat your own body, is it? You don't hate it. You don't despise it. You don't neglect it. Even someone who is harming themselves physically is doing so because they care about themselves. Right? They're doing that because they don't want to feel a certain way anymore. 
right? They're seeking some kind of wholeness or help or whatever for themselves. And that's not wrong because God made us that way to take care of ourselves. And that's what we try to cultivate in our children, isn't it? That idea of how to take care of yourself. It's important you have personal responsibility for your life. Feeding, brushing your teeth, I mean, doing all of that stuff. That's hardwired in us for a very good reason. We do not treat our bodies that way. Therefore, husbands, any husband in Ephesus who is treating his wife that way is reproved here. No one hated his own flesh. You don't do that to your own body. Don't do it to your wife. Is what Paul is saying to these Ephesian husbands. Clearly the focus here on most of these verses is with the husband. But notice verse 29, the entirety of verse 29, Ephesians 5, 29, the entirety of it gives us reproof and correction for no one ever hated his own flesh. Reproof, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church. Correction. Reproof, correction. Now, since this passage, like I said, is directed at husbands, for the most part, I think the final verse has a note to the wife, there's a good chance that Paul would not have written these words unless he was concerned that some of those husbands in that church were doing more lording than loving, that they were more self-seeking than self-giving. And thus, there was an appropriate place for some general reproof and correction in his words. Third, look at how Paul helps train his readers in righteousness. Teaching, reproof, correction, training in righteousness. Look at how he does it here. This training is, again, explicitly directed at husbands starting in verse 25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Verse 28, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. And of course, verse 29, there's that nourishing and that cherishing. What is Paul doing here? He's training in righteousness. And what did we say righteousness was? It's measured by Christ. Do you see what he's doing? Right? He's directly connecting this back to Jesus Christ in the example that he's given. He's helping them understand that if Genesis 2.24, the teaching, the concept, the doctrine in that verse talks about one flesh with your wife, that you are one body with her. And if it's understood that we take care of ourselves, we're hardwired, no man hated his own flesh, but cherishes it and nourishes it. If that's understood, then you need to be nourishing and cherishing your wife. How do you actually do that? Set your eyes on Jesus. Look to him. See what he does. Did he lord it over his wife? No, he laid it down for his wife. He sacrificed himself. That sacrificial, self-giving love was what defined Christ. So Paul is training them in this by turning their eyes back to Jesus and spelling out some of these things. Not just keeping it abstract. He's actually giving them some practical things about how they can live their life. How they can carry it out. What we might call this is gospel-centered marriage training, isn't it? This is like gospel-centered 
And for both husbands and wives, if you look at the fuller context there, it's all directed towards Christ. Wives, submit to your husbands as unto the Lord. That's gospel, isn't it? Do you love Jesus? Do you want to submit yourself to Him? Do you trust that He's going to take care of you? Ladies, you should, because that's the good news. Well, in that same spirit, trust God with your husband. Right? Have that surrendered heart. Have that spirit that loves to serve, loves to build up, loves to give, that is conciliatory, that is peaceful, seeks peace, peacemaking, right? All of those things that would define your relationship with Jesus, let them seep into your relationship with your husband. Husbands, let the gospel seep into the way that you love your wives. You see, it's it's all gospel-centered training here in marriage. And Paul did all of this trusting that the living and active Word of God would ultimately give the prophet. He believed that the Word of God, Scripture, is supernaturally profitable in, in, in people's lives. It really is supernaturally profitable. I don't have to hammer you or argue, in, argue you into a place where you're like, yeah, I see the benefit of it. Oh. Right? No, it actually works powerfully through God's Spirit to help you open your eyes so that it becomes like a treasure hidden in a field that a man finds and then he covers back up and goes and sells all that he has to possess that field. He is elated about what he's found. He sees the profit, the profitability of this, right? What The treasure of it. That's what we see here. Paul believed that. He still, of course, he believed God would do that, but he knew he, he was also called to pray to that end. Look at how he prays for the, for the a neighboring church in, in, in Colossae. He says this, Colossians 1.9, I pray for you, Colossian believers, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. That is not just transmission of content or doctrine. That is spiritual recognition, appreciation. That is the heart posture of embracing the the Word of God for oneself. That's what Paul wanted. He said, I want you to know the truth. I do want that. I want you to know the truth. But I'm praying that you would truly live the truth, that you would embrace the truth, that you would think the truth, that it would renew your mind in the mind of Christ. It would be present in you in a powerful way. Of course, as we're looking at Ephesians 5 here, we're identifying some of these different 2 Timothy 3.16 aspects and what Paul has written to the Ephesians about marriage. But we know this passage is a unified whole. Right? It's, it's written for a particular purpose. It's not, it's not written based on what we're bringing to it. But if you simply read this passage, sensitive to the teaching elements that are here, if you read this passage sensitive to the reproving and correcting elements that are present, if you read this passage sensitive to the training elements that are here, you get a truly beautiful and instructive picture of how Paul, our brother, blessed others with God's Word. So hopefully 
just that little digression to Ephesians 5 was helpful to you just to see it practically, to think practically, how does this actually work out? What, what, what do those elements look like? This is important to point out why, because when I acknowledge, when I acknowledge, even when I acknowledge this personal ministry of the Word, I'm willing to claim that and say, yes, I as a believer have a ministry of the Word of God to others. Even when I do that, and I attempt to fulfill that ministry, I often am tempted to limit that ministry. You are tempted to limit that ministry. We all do it. We've looked at four things this morning, right? But we attempt to limit it. What do I mean? Well, some have no problem, for example, imparting knowledge to others. But they seem to have very little concern about helping others apply that knowledge. These are the know-it-alls sometimes, right? They pat themselves on the back and they feel good that they just tell somebody, well, this is the truth, and then they just walk away. They have very little concern about training their brother or sister in righteousness and in helping in that way. Others have no problem pointing out where someone's wrong. They're pretty good at that. They can tell you where you're off track. Oh, you're so off track. What did you just say? Oh, no, 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 no. They seem to have no problem pointing that out, but seem less interested in helping that person understand the correct path. And still others may be excellent at sharing what we might call training wisdom. They've lived life. They've walked with Christ. They can share with you really helpful things from God's Word to help you apply it. But they also are tempted not to rock the boat so they won't reprove you when you're like off the rails. They won't do that. They don't want to upset anybody. They're glad to share wisdom this way, but they're not glad to share the word and wisdom in terms of someone who's really struggling or walking, going against the flow of what God's design is. But brothers and sisters, when you have a ministry of God's word, the word is profitable in all of these ways. In teaching, in reproof, in correction, in training in righteousness. And even when we're only able to fulfill one aspect of this ministry with a particular brother or sister, not every opportunity presents it that we can do the teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness, or that it's even necessary to do all of those things in that particular situation. But even in those cases, we need to embrace God calls us to seek by His grace to serve in all of these ways. It should be your prayer to say, Lord, as I minister with Your Word, help me to know what it's profitable for. And help me not to shy away when I see the opportunity to bring that medicine to that brother, uh, to a brother or sister. Maybe that's teaching at a moment, at just a particular time. But maybe when you're teaching someone, it it stirs up something in them and they get real, no, I think it's this way. And that we can give a reproof in love. And we can give that correction. 2 Timothy chapter 2 is really good on this, about Timothy dealing with people in the church who were going against the Word. Talk about how Timothy was called to gently help people understand and, 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 and say, okay, that's not the truth. Let's go this way. With patience, with understanding, some of these people who are trying to cause division. 
We need this, don't we? We need to pray in this way in light of this vision. Why do we need to serve God in all of these ways? Ultimately, because only verse 16. Now I'm back in 2 Timothy 2. If you want to go back there, you can. 2 Timothy 2. Oh, sorry, 2 Timothy 3. Our main passage, verses 16 and 17. Why do we want to embrace all of these ministries and not just say, well, I'm good at rebuking others or approving others. <laughs> I'm going to stick with that. Or I'm just good at putting the truth out there and I'll let the Holy Spirit do whatever He wants with it and then I kind of walk away from it. No, 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 no. Why do we need to embrace all of these? Because only verse 16 as a whole takes us to verse 17 as a whole. Those two go together. What's verse 17 as a whole? That the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. That's what we want for our brothers and sisters, isn't it? We want them to be complete. We want them to be equipped for good works that God has prepared for them to walk in, right? We want that for our brothers and sisters. And what a joy to be able to be used by God in that way. A disciple maker's heart seeks that very thing because it's moving someone towards wholeness in Jesus when we're doing this. Not just rebuking, not just training, not just teaching, but all of these things as fits the occasion. Now, let me finish with a couple simple application points. First of all, take a look on the screen here again. First of all, bless others with the Word, brothers and sisters, as you are being blessed with the Word. Bless others with the Word as you are being blessed with the Word. I want you to notice the original context here in 2 Timothy 3, starting in verse 14. Paul writes, But as for you, Timothy, as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood even you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Notice that the original context is really directed at Timothy's benefits, personal benefits. Now, have I, been, have I been preaching a distorted, kind of taking that verse out of its context? No, I've just been preaching the principles of that verse. Nothing I've said is not true about what that verse is teaching about the Word. But when you set it in its original context, you understand that Paul is encouraging Timothy here, first in regard to how others had blessed him with the word. So the ministry of the word from his mother, the ministry of the word from his grandmother, the ministry of the word from the apostle Paul himself. He says, you've seen how I've lived my life. You've heard my words. Remember my example in suffering. You know, you just look before these verses, 13, 12, 11, whatever, right before in 2 Timothy 3. You will see that. Those three people especially are mentioned in this book. Mother, grandmother, and the Apostle Paul himself have ministered to Timothy with the Word and he has been blessed by it through teaching, reproof, correction, and being trained in righteousness. And he shouldn't deviate from those things because those are the way that Timothy, in fact, is equipped He's complete and he's equipped for every good work in the ministry there in Ephesus. That's where Paul is writing to him. 
So this is really focused on his benefit, how he's built up on this, on the receiving end of the ministry of the word. But of course, it also encourages him in terms of how he can bless others. One of the dangers of my position, of my ministry as a pastor, is falling into the trap of only reading Scripture through a teaching-preaching lens. Very easy to fall into that trap. Where I read the Word, and the first thing I think is, how would I preach or teach this? Before asking, how does this apply to my life? How is God speaking to me in this Word? How do I, how do I live this out? Timothy need to be reminded of that as well in the light of the challenges that he was facing. So before we mine these verses for treasure for the sake of our ministry to others, as we've done this morning, trying to dig that treasure out, we absolutely need to treasure Scripture for ourselves and place ourselves in relationships in which others can teach us, reprove us, correct us, and train us in righteousness. Do you have those relationships? We need those, don't we? Yeah, this brings some of our past month's teaching into focus in terms of why it's so important to have those different circles of disciple making from larger to smaller. We need this, don't we? Part of God's design. Second of all, in terms of kind of application, second of all, cling to the fact, and this is most important, Cling to the fact that we can only bless others with the Word because we were first blessed by the Word. Capital W. We were first blessed by the Word. Listen to this. Praise God that my failures with the truth, my stumbling with the truth, my choosing fear over the truth, my distortions of the truth, that my hurtful, not profitable, but hurtful words, praise God that they are not the last word when it comes to the final assessment of my life. That's good news, isn't it? That is good news. Because of God's grace, the final assessment of my life will not be based on my words, but on the Word who became flesh for me. John 1.14 that's where it comes down to. The perfect ministry of the Word, capital W, makes your ministry of the Word possible. We can't forget that. How does He, Jesus, make that ministry, our ministry of the Word, possible? Well, not only does He exemplify for us throughout His ministry, love-filled, spirit-filled, teaching, reproof, correction, and training, but He also died to forgive all of your careless words, all of your hurtful words, all of your failures to speak the truth in love. He died for that reason. And He rose again to give you power beyond yourself to live a new life of loving others, including loving them with the Word. So as we, brothers and sisters, begin a new year reading through Scripture, let's pray. 
right? Let's pray. Yes, please pray for a fervent desire to be personally blessed with the word. Please pray that. God, give me everything you can give me out of this word. I want to I want to mine it. I want to get everything. I want you to speak to me powerfully. I want to grow my knowledge of the word. Please pray fervently for that. But equally, equally, equally pray for a fervent desire to bless others with the word as well. Those two have to go hand in hand. They really do. But pastor, I don't know. I still don't know. I don't feel competent. I don't that's okay. You admitting that is the first step to growing in your faith in that way. You admitting that is the first step to becoming more like Jesus in that way. What does it mean? It just means that you partner up with brother, a brother or a sister or brothers or sisters or whatever who can encourage you in terms of how you can carry out your ministry of the Word. But as you're reading, for example, on Sunday nights when I meet with, with my core group, I'm reading throughout the week and I'm always looking for two things and I tell these guys two things as well. This week as you read, look for something that's encouraging to you and look for something that might be encouraging to your brother or sister. And when we come together on Sunday nights, we, we share those things. I really read this first and I thought of you, Kedrick. I thought of you, brother. I thought about this. I want to encourage you with it. This was a verse that was encouraging to me. Think about a church where everyone's doing that regularly all the time with one another. That's powerful. That's beautiful, isn't it? That's what we want to see more and more. So even if you feel like, I just, I don't know what to do. I'm not there. Just say, hey, that's where I'm at. Let's go forward together. That's, a, that's the perfect place to start. So pray for a fervent desire to be blessed personally by the word, but equally pray for a fervent desire to bless others with God's word. And to bless others in light of the very ways that we and they need in that moment, as fits the occasion, the very ways that Scripture itself has revealed itself as profitable. All of those ways. This is your ministry of the word. Let us love as we've been loved and let us love the people of God and let us love all people with that truth that is divinely, supernaturally living and active. Amen? Amen. Would you pray with me? Let's pray.